think we don't realize that our brands are made up of people. So in turn, they are a living organism. And I think the same way that you need to take time to go do something you enjoy as a human, you need to read that book, you need to go hang out with the family, play football, whatever it is, your brand needs to do that. So yeah, for me, sometimes with my YouTube, even I don't care sometimes if certain videos don't do well. It's like, I love that video. Yeah. So it's like, I'm going to do it. Because for the the health of my brand, it needs time to enjoy what it likes, you know. Mm -hmm. And if it's always about what the audience likes, then you're you're living for someone else, and then yeah. your your happiness is attached. You're just pandering. Yeah. Oh, and that's that's exhausting. It's Mike and Mitzi. And this is Wave Social Podcast powered by Arcade Studios, a show for marketers, creators, and brand builders who want to make waves online. We sit down with experts and tastemakers behind today's up-and-coming brands. And today in the show, we have Mark Bone and Michael Del Monte. That was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. I had to practice the sequence of those words a few times. Yeah, so here we are. We got Mark and Michael. Yes. And uh, this is Mark's second time mm -hmm. on the show. This is the first time we're getting someone back on the show after they've already been on the show. But we'll have more recurring guests soon. Yeah, we got more coming up because a lot of guests on Wave Social Podcast just have a lot going on, a lot mm -hmm. to talk about, a lot of value to give. So Mark came back, he brought it back, mm -hmm. and uh, he brought a guest, Michael Del Monte. Yeah. So Michael Del Monte is a Canadian documentary filmmaker. He has a really interesting background. He like has a degree in philosophy philosophy yeah. yeah smart man um and then mark bone is also a filmmaker he's an award-winning documentary director both based out of ontario canada um, yeah they're both pretty decorated guys they've got yes. quite a few accomplishments i know michael del monte um he's had documentaries acquired by the likes of netflix amazon prime espn sundance vice mm -hmm. the list goes on i know it's very impressive and then mark he's won a lot of awards as well um vimeo best of the month and staff pick premieres uh, he's also directed many documentaries for and documentary style commercial campaigns for global brands like mercedes-benz nike bmw and nikon yeah and what i love talking to them about was their course, which um, Mark Bone actually has created a YouTube channel, which has gotten so many subscribers and followers, and he's built like a really strong community there. And um, they decided, he decided to team up with Michael, and they created this course called The Art of Documentary, which has gone on to also produce some amazing filmmakers. Mm -hmm. um, and so we talk about how they've created that community, how they were able to leverage YouTube. Um, and I think that that will give us a lot of great insight if you're interested in doing more on YouTube. Yeah, I think it's good for people in the film industry, but mm -hmm. it's also good for just any creator or expert in something that wants to create a course. Yeah, and it ex inspired us to get on YouTube too. It did. Yeah, here we are on YouTube, the wild, wild west. You might be watching this on YouTube. Odds are you're not, but if, <laughs> if, you're, you are. if you're listening somewhere else or watching somewhere else, then maybe next time try it on YouTube. I mean, maybe we... Um, like we, you don't all have to rush to YouTube because we're still figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> we're iterating. So yeah, you can catch episodes and clips on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, if you really want to see the evolution of the of a creative process, then tune <laughs> in now <laughs> and just watch it over the next six months. Yes. We're on our come up. <laughs> Showing right. up and glowing up. Let's talk about our merch. Okay. 
Uh, this is uh, merch. For all from... the people watching on YouTube, you yes, can see this product. You can also see it by going to wavesocialpodcast.com slash merch if you'd like to get it. If you a... can't see it, you can probably hear me touching it. Kind Some of just ASMR. like ASMR. Yeah, exactly. Like Mitzi, it. do you want to put it on? I guess. My head's too big for it. Um, I'm not really a hat girl, but I, I mean, you should be looking at you right now for this hat. <laughs> um, I actually think it might not be the best shape for me, but it's a great shape for most people who wear hats. And more importantly, it's a great color. It's a great color, and there's a great tagline on it. Do you want to read it for the people? It says placeholder. Why did we do placeholder? I mean, this was more so your decision, but I think it's just a great kind of play on marketing speak and placeholder text and mm -hmm. even just like that good old quality assurance process <laughs> that you need to have in your marketing flow to make sure that that placeholder text doesn't live on the final product. Right. We thought it would be fun to have placeholder like on the final product as like a and hopefully like designers out there or marketers are like, oh my gosh, is that meant to be there? So mm. that's what inspired us to do it. Yeah. First hat, probably not the last. Yeah, it's, it is a really nice material. I'll say that. Even though I'm not really a hat girl, I do like the material of this one. It almost feels like it's weather resistant. Yeah, it does. Kind like, of almost like a Gore-Tex kind of vibe. Yeah. So check it out, wavesocialpodcast.com slash merch if you want to get your hat. We may or may not be restocking these, so um, get it now while you can. And grab a candle while you're at it. Yes. Our candles are great. They're they're flying like hot cakes. Recently, someone told me it was the best candle they ever smelled. Do you hear that? We should write that down. Get them to write it down. I know. Anyways, enjoy this episode. It's a good one. I said I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> Mitzi literally it was really like, let's is, not say this was a good one. It is a good one, though. I know. I feel like I do say that every time, but it really is a good one. Okay, well, let's move on from the intro and bring in Michael and Mark. Enjoy. Okay, Mark and Mike, we're excited to have you guys on the show. This is our second ever video interview, so welcome wow. to life in video. You guys are the pros, though. I'm used to it. Yeah, we're, 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 we're used to filmmaking, so this is, this is cool seeing you guys doing it as well. Yeah, and you're usually behind the camera, but then you also got the YouTube channel, too, so you, you, you're pros on both sides. Yeah, and I wouldn't call this filmmaking. <laughs> You know, speak for yourself. Let, let's I, see what happens. Yeah, neither is TikTok, but it seems to be doing well. <laughs> Fair enough. So we've had Mark on the show before. Welcome back, Mark. Can you give our listeners a refresher on who you are and how you got into the film industry? Yeah, uh, my name is Mark, obviously. Uh, I'm from Toronto, Canada. I'm a documentary director. Uh, I kind of stumbled into the YouTube world a couple of years ago, and that's opened up a lot of cool new avenues for filmmaking and collaborating. And I first got into filmmaking about 15 years ago, doing some humanitarian work overseas and discovered uh, that I, I kind of wanted to tell stories that seemed to be less Hollywood, perhaps is one way to call it. But I guess in a way they do become that in their own way. But uh, yeah, I liked stories of kind of unknown people. And that's how I stumbled into documentary filmmaking. Love it. And then, Mike, this is your first appearance on our show. We're pumped you could join us. And we'd love for you to just give our audience some context to who you are and what you do and why you hang around Mark? <laughs> well, I uh, I hang around Mark because he uh, is a really nice guy. <laughs> I would and... say it's the other way around. I hang <laughs> I hang with Mike. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a mutual hanging. I think <laughs> um, I got I got into filmmaking 
a little more accidentally. It was um, I, I'd done all my schooling and undergrad and masters and wasn't planning on it. But I was uh, I, w- I was a, I was I was actually a runner. I was trying to make the Olympics as a runner, and I was down at training camp in 2012, and I was injured. And one of my teammates had a, a DSLR camera, and uh, I didn't really know how to use it, but just kind of put it on auto and started making these little portraits of the athletes down there because I wasn't able to run and a running website picked them up called flow track. It's like kind of the, the mainstream, uh, running popular website and asked if I could do a few more. So people back home in Toronto area started seeing them and asked if I'd cover their, do a little video on their race. Uh, and, and I had this huge background of writing these very long lengthy essays that no one would ever read. And so it just kind of sparked that maybe I could explore some of these ideas I was interested in uh, through a different medium. And it was way more, way more fun, (laughs) way more engaging. Uh, Yeah, I don't really miss the papers much at all. And uh, yeah, it's been that was that was 10 years ago. So crazy. So fast forward now as like a bit more of an established filmmaker, how do you think your academic background has impacted your career or your the way you view stories now as a filmmaker uh the the few things i'd say would be um the ability to go very deep with one idea you know i i I remember doing a seminar course on the ontological argument for the existence of god and the whole course was on one line and you'd have to write a 50 page essay on one line of a text. Hmm. And and I look back being like, man, that was tedious and that was exhaustive. But that's what I do now. It's like I meet a character and they've got they've got one goal. They're 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 on a quest or they've got something that's troubling them inside and they're trying to resolve it. And I take a year or two years to explore that that thing, that whatever it is for that person. And so it's it's very similar in that way, just to be able to spend a lot of time in one place and just let the roots go very deep. Um, yeah, it's, it was honestly, I feel like kind of the perfect prerequisite uh, for for what I for what I do, kind of the people I uh, document and explore. So that that's that's definitely the biggest thing, um, the patience to to kind of do these things that aren't done, you know, super quick, but. It's a long, long cooking process. Yeah. And I find it so fascinating when someone invests so much time into one career path and then pivots into something totally different. Was there like Mm -hmm. a struggle or tension in that and like accepting that maybe you weren't going to go down this academic route once you discovered filmmaking? Big time. You know, and more so the running. Like the bigger thing was I was getting paid to be a runner, very small amount because it was an amateur sport, but I was getting money from the government. And my path was sort of, you know, let's finish my, I finished my master's. I was beginning a PhD, maybe be a professor, a running coach. Like I had this idea and I, I, I always feel like I, I traded the one passion for another passion because film was a passion of mine when I was a kid. I just never imagined you could make money off of it. I never imagined you could ever get to the pearly gates of Hollywood. Like it was just so elusive, like the whole notion, like it was impossible. It was just like, you'll never get there. And so, but honestly, what it was, was getting my first like $500 gig. And this was back in 2012. And I had to drive from Guelph to London, Ontario, three times to cover this track race. Uh, This, you know, it's like this 
arduous process to make, and it was a ridiculous amount of editing. But when I got the $500 check, I was just like, huh, people will pay you to, to do this. And then that, that really sparked something for me. And the documentaries came very shortly after, but that at least changed my perspective just to think like, maybe I can make a little bit of income doing something like no one was going to pay me to write an essay. You're just going to have to get grants and scholarships and all that. And that, you know, so it was the first time in my life, I think, where I had a bit of a business pers- mindset of it, if that makes sense. Like just, huh, I could exp- I could do both my passion and make some money. Well, that's awesome. So that is awesome. Yeah, that yeah, that was I still can't believe it. You know, 10 years later and you have a family and you're providing for them doing this. It's it's wild. I know Mark and I both like it. You, yeah, you're so blessed, so fortunate. So yeah, so you mentioned you got that first five hundred dollar check, and then shortly after that started documentaries. So what was the jumping off point into documentaries from that first paid gig? I I, I read I read a book. It was a you know it was the typical I, Mark would probably even know what it is like a screenwriting book that Sid what's it Sid Sid Freed who's the famous screenwriter. I can't remember his name. It's a, it's the book. Everyone who wants to make a screenplay goes to chapters and you get this book. Right. I thought it was always Save the Cat. That's what everyone. Oh, I don't know. This was some, anyway, some screenwriting thing. And I, I, I remember like in the first chapter, he said, if this is your first screenplay, write about what you know. And for me, that was running. Like I had, I had done 10 years of a competitive, competitive running. And so, and my first paid gigs were in the running world. And so it was just, and, and at that paid gig, in fact, was when I met my first documentary subject. I was at this race and I saw this guy, Wesley Career. He had just won the Boston Marathon a couple of weeks ago. He was there cheering his wife on, who I went to high school with. She was a Canadian. She went on a scholarship to the States where she met him. They fell in love, got married. He was there watching her race. I saw him go into the bathroom and I followed him in and just said like we were going pee and <laughs> tmi i just i just said uh hey man i know who you are i know who tara is congratulations on the marathon i i uh i i, I have this idea of doing a doc of, about this connection between long distance runners all having some faith in some higher power and that's how they are able to you know the idea was like sprinters pound their chest when they finish and long distance runners put their hands up to the sky and so he, he connected with that and and that was he was like, come out, we'll shoot a little video. And I used that little video to go get some money from a, uh, investor. Mark ended up coming onto that project eventually, but that was really the start. It was, it was kind of that world I knew, uh, started with my first paid gig and then turned into my first feature documentary. Um, so yeah, it was all kind of in the same world. And, and Mike actually cornered me in a bathroom as well to pitch me the film. <laughs> I was over a phone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was it. fine though. I'll say it real quick. Like I, I was just in Brooklyn and uh, doing doing a, pro- a Queens actually. Not I was in Queens and uh, a couple people. You know, they see you have a camera there and they're like, "Oh, you got a camera? What? Like, how do you get into it? How do you?" And it's still my number one advice for young people. And Mark, you know, he talk. He had the same experiences. Like just. You got to find your niche. Mm-hmm. Like you got to find that place that you know really well that you have more connections than anywhere else. And honestly, like that that can take you very that could really springboard your entire career. If you you know, people always want to go wide too fast, but yeah. na- narrow and deep, you know. Yeah, we talk yeah. about that a lot on this show actually. Mm-hmm. Um even last week in our conversation it's I don't know why it's counterintuitive to be niche, like to have a really narrow focus, but I think it's maybe just fear-based, you know, like wanting to appeal to as many people as possible. But 
um, then mm-hmm. it just never pans out the way you want it to. It's yeah. I, I I think it's that typecast thing, you know, like people often think like, oh, I don't want to just do, I just don't want to be the running guy or I don't want to just do the sports guy. And it's like, I, I remember people telling me that and because and, my first few films were all in that world and then eventually they weren't though. And yeah. then you're no longer that person. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. you're nobody. The fact that like, you know, you're, you're, you're really, you got nothing, you got nothing <laughs> to do. You're not doing anything yet. So yeah, I would, I would tell people, don't be afraid of that. I, yeah, I think niches are, are so important just because they actually magnetize you to the, the right people. Because when you hire someone for a niche, you're saying you in this one specific area, this one stream, whether it's like you're the guy who can fit roofs with this one type of shingle, mm-hmm. like you're the best at it. Or you're the documentary filmmaker who does stories about people in uh, running like Mike. What happens is people who want to hire the right people and spend the right money are usually the people you want to work with mm-hmm. who like who are like i need the person who is the best in this one area for sure so what ends up happening is you actually i find you get hired by the right people because the people who want to spend less money and are a hassle to work with are usually the person who's looking for a deal who doesn't need an expert they just want right. someone to get the job done so i find it, it like it is counterintuitive but when you find your niche you're actually going to be working with people who want to pay someone well to do that one thing very well 100%. and me and mike even find that when we're hiring it's like we don't love hiring people who are a jack of all trades we want to hire people who are amazing in this one area yeah yeah i think you strike a important point there mark because like mike you're talking about niching on like subject matter a certain topic or experience but there's so many ways to have a so many different ways to find a niche and mark you're kind of pointing that out with it could even be like the type of gear you use it could be the way you tell a story it Mm -hmm. could be even like more about the audience that you reach you know Mm -hmm. so there's so many different ways that people can niche without necessarily um, it just being about what you talk about. Yeah. And the, and the reality is like, you're, you have to get good. Like there, <laughs> yeah. and we say this to our students all the time in, in the art documentary is like, we can talk theory, we can talk ideas and story conflict, all this as much as we want, but you've got to get good and, and having a world, having something specific where, you know, you, your comfort zone, it's, it's like, what, what's that? It's like the Gladwell analogy of the big, the, the, the being the big fish in the small pond is more advantageous right. because your confidence goes up, your skill set, you know, you, you don't always feel diminished. You don't feel like, like, I just think, Mark, you can speak on this, but guys who try to go through the film industry and start at the bottom of the ladder, like it's so overwhelming. Like we just tell our students, go get a camera, find a story and go make it, mm-hmm. you know, have something, have something made. Like you go that route and you're just always you're always very low mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it's hard. It's really hard to get your confidence and to get to that point where you can make something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. True. So, so, so often the best cinematographers are often the ones who lasted, you know, like they're, they're the ones who yeah. are, you know, they, they, they really did have that staying power. And that that's, if you, if you want to go a more traditional route in your career, specifically talking about filmmaking is you, you have to have endurance. You really do. And I think you just, I mean, even if you go freelance and you build your own career that way, I think it really is endurance is, is staying power is, is half the battle. Yeah. I think that applies to every industry. A lot of our listeners are marketers, creators, like it really applies Mm. to all of those industries too. But Mike, you mentioned students. Let's talk about art of documentary. Why did you guys start a course? Like you're both very busy. You've got lots of projects, like take us back to 
what was the thought or idea for starting this course? You want me to start, Mark? Yeah, I mean, well, it, it kind of, yeah. It was the same. I mean, we, we had the, we had like the absolute perfect combination being that, you know, I, I had so much knowledge with the online marketing world because um, I've done a lot of filming for my brother's a huge uh, online fitness coach and I've worked with a bunch of companies that are fully online and I understood how the whole funnel process worked. Even I know it's weird talk for a filmmaker, but I, I spent a lot of a lot of my career. That was all my corporate work was with online marketers, uh, successful ones, too. So I had a very good grasp of like how we would do this. Like and it was during the pandemic um, work had slowed a bit, but less about that. I think it was more us tr seeing that you know, there was an opportunity, seeing how everything was going online. I think we just started talking, being like, why don't we put our knowledge online? And Mark had obviously, the big thing is Mark had the YouTube channel. Like the hardest part of this is having an audience. And Mark, Mark had watered his audience for two years, I built this amazing following of trusted people and had never sold them anything. And so, you know, the tendency in the marketing world is you oversell. Mark had undersold. And so the students were just, I think, Mark, you did a poll, right? Yeah, I was going to say, it's it, funny, you kind of stumble into these things just for fun one day I, in the middle of the pandemic. I, I put a poll up on my YouTube community page, which people don't actually know exists. It's this tab, which is like just a, a Twitter feed for YouTubers. And uh, I put up, I was like, hey, does anyone want me to do a course? And I put up three options. No, yes, and yes, if it's free. And we had 800 responses and over 50% of them were like, yes. And so I just showed it to Mike one day and was like, I was like, I don't know, maybe this is a thing. And then Mike's like, yeah, let's do it. And that, that's, that's partially one of the reasons why I love with working with Mike is it's it's very black and white uh, decisions in that way. And so we just, we, we were like, okay, let's, I think I brought that conversation up to you in like September uh, 2019. And so that wasn't, I was pre-pandemic and I was like, let's do it this November. We're like, sure. Was November, it really? Yeah. November blew, we blew right past November. And it wasn't until like March 2020, you know, in the height of the pandemic, when everything was shut down, I brought it back up to Mike was like, do you want to do you want to do this? And we're like, yeah, I mean, doesn't looks like the world shut down for the foreseeable future. We are in a unique position as well, because, you know, the whole the whole online marketing game is like we're we're, we're market like, you know, the, we're filmmakers, but we have all the cameras and editing like we knew like that's the expense. I mean, that's you know, getting the eyeballs, getting your traffic and creating the content. And, and so Mark had the eyeballs and we could do the content at cost, just, you know, our paying our editors and our time. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was really, but I'll say like, you know, it started honestly with the idea of just putting a one, um, a, a one-time course out there. Like we had no vision. Maybe we, the, the vision was definitely not I didn't stone. even want to do Zoom calls. You no, know, you didn't we, even know. I we, we do you. group we do group Zoom calls once a month with others. And initially, I was like, no, I just want to put the course out there. You want to put the course out there? No touch at all after. Yeah, that. I was and like, I don't think anyone's gonna buy it. Let's just let's just get it out. Better forget it. Make a few dollars, yeah. help a few people. Yeah. And then after that first response, it was clear that like there was a real thirst for people wanting an alternative to online film school. Or yeah. an alternative to film school, doing yeah. it in an online a, a, version. A hundred people joined it in the first ten minutes when we wow. opened it. Wow! Yeah, and the, and was... do you think most of that was from your YouTube community, Mark? A hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It, and it still almost all is. Now we've yeah. just started like Instagram. Uh, but we don't even know, pay for advertising. We we no, still just do it organically. organic. And I think I think that's 
me and Mike both have found that like a documentary careers are exhausting if if you're not careful with with how you spool out your energy and mm-hmm. and uh unfortunately like we really believe in the medium of documentary and so it's so sad to see so many people go down trying to start a documentary film and then never finish it because there is no roadmap and it, it's a very like you're on your own like figure it out and the budgets are small and so part of our heart behind art of documentary is like we believe in our community we believe in this you know th- th- these these hundreds and hundreds of filmmakers in the AOD community and we don't want to see these stories either die in people's brain or die in the edit or die before they ever get shot and so we were like that was the the byline to art of documentary was the complete guide to telling documentary films compelling mm-hmm. films and we were like let's just take the mystique the mystery let's just give some really hard uh, signposts along the way for this journey in filmmaking and it really seemed to resonate with with people and it's been incredible and so I don't know Mike it's been so gratifying seeing people like have their careers and lives changed getting to start and put out their first films and in turn you know build a career as a filmmaker yeah that's awesome I looked into some of the modules that you offer and as someone who's not technical, some of the ones that caught my eye were like how to pitch a film and how to be a good interviewer. Are those some of those like, like maybe aspects of filmmaker that maybe people don't get? Because the technical side, I'm sure there's so many resources for that. But those yeah. soft skills like are maybe some of the things that people don't maybe understand the weight of those things, like how to mm-hmm. get funding for your film, those kind of things. Is that what you had in mind? The Yes, I think module one, when we first came out, as Mark described, it was really trying to create a roadmap being like a systematic form, something a little more formulaic that was from concept all the way to releasing at festivals, Hmm. you know, like in every step in between, it was sort of like, we now look at it as that was sort of our first year university course. And now, now if module two, now what we, what we learned from module one was that is enough for our students to kind of get the tools they need. We've had amazing success of students getting into significant film festivals, getting broadcast deals, like just using the information in that course. But now what we're passionate about and why we came out with module two is like, we really want to see our students move from being videographers to filmmakers. And, and, you know, a big difference with, with a filmmaker is there's, there's a voice there. There's these other things. There's the voice, there's a philosophy, you know, there's perspective, there's these nuanced things that when you see a film by a filmmaker, like, oh, that's, that's Quentin Tarantino, because he's got, he, he does all these collective music and whatever, he's got all these stylistic choices he makes that make him who he is, the dialogue is long and all of this, right. And so I think we, we, we're now trying as we and this is all how as Mark and I are <laughs> maturing and growing is like learning ourselves. That's sort of what we're trying to do is bring them along that journey and help mature them. So, you know, as we, as we kind of come out with new modules, it's, it's really just trying to make them more, more filmmakers, like have a voice in this world because, you know, we get this all the time on our calls. They're like, Oh, and Mark knows what I'm about to say, but I, I want to do this COVID business film or something. <laughs> and And I'll say this all the time. It's like, listen, there's nothing wrong with that, but just, just know this. We've been, we've been pitched a hundred stories of people wanting to open their, they want to film a story about a local business trying to survive COVID. Now it doesn't mean you can't do it, but you've got to have your unique voice. It's like a, a love story has been told a hundred times, but you can still tell 
you know, a blue Valentine is the, the example I use of Derek C in France, where it's like, it's, it's like, you've never seen a love story like that. And then I could tell one that's going to be different because it's got my voice to it. And so that, that's really what we're trying, I think, to help our students with now is find their voice, which is a that's a lifetime process, you know, as life experiences come into your life, you then put that into your work. And so it's, it's really cool seeing our, our students now, like, you kind of see a style develop, you kind of see the subjects and people they're drawn to. It's, it's more than just trying to go create content. Yeah. I want to take that module, like yeah. how to find your voice. I feel like everyone yeah, needs to do seriously. that. Any creator needs to do that, whether yeah. you're making a film or just doing Absolutely. TikToks or whatever. Like what is that voice that's kind of mm-hmm. going through all the content that you're producing? Exactly. Yeah. And your philosophy, you know, like what are what like I, I ask some questions all the time and, and someone else, it, it, you know, if we if we if Mark and I both go to a particular subject matter, Mark's going to ask different questions that are impact have influenced his life. And I'll ask different questions that have influenced my life and it will produce a slightly different film. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the beauty is like, kind of what are the questions you've asked yourself and have gotten you through your life? And you know, what, what are the thing, what's the lens you see the world through? That's how you're going to see your subjects. And that's what you'll bring to your projects. And I, I think that's really under, under taught. Definitely. I want to talk a little bit about your students. Um, I'm curious on one hand, in general, like what are what are you hoping that your students will walk away with at the end of this course, if you could summarize that? But then secondly, more on a granular level, are there like one or two stories of students that you've had so far that really stick in your mind of like, man, if we can make that type of impact with more people, that would be amazing. Oh yeah, there's there's loads, hey Mike. Uh, I yeah, just you should think, talk about Layla. I mean, yeah. I think just she wouldn't mind. I yeah, mean, she's, well, she's she's our poster child. <laughs> well, even Layla or um, uh, if, if I'm blanking on his name right now, but he lives in Lebanon. Uh, we had one student when we we reached out to everyone and just said, "Hey, we're looking for some testimonials." When we did our our latest launch in September, and uh, you know, you're kind of floored when when you're having people saying like you know this literally this course has changed my life like i'm now getting clients and i i'm actually working full-time as a filmmaker and directing and yeah i think when mike mentions layla we had a student who uh you know uh single parent family and and, and just trying to make make a new re, you know reinvent single herself. mother single mother yeah and and uh um, trying to re reinvent herself right now uh in as a filmmaker and you know sawed off it's just i love it she bites off more than she can chew at times and it's great because she's she really sticks with it and uh she's completed her first film and it's getting into festivals and and now she's uh just finished her second film and she's going on to her third film and she's getting pitched work now yeah people are pitching her work and it's wow uh it's you know and that we watched that happen in just less than 18 months of like you know we've only known her since uh, a little over a year ago um, and so, yeah, a lot less than that. And it's, uh, that's been super rewarding and we, we don't even love calling them students anymore. We're trying to kind of ch- change our vernacular to calling them filmmakers. Cause really we want them to know that that's what they can be and that they, uh, me and Mike are, are walking that same journey alongside them, you know, where, where their peers, um, and maybe we've, we've completed some more films than people in our course, but we, uh, we really want to aspire the AOD community to just do that, like be, be filmmakers. Like a filmmaker makes a film, they finish it. And that's what we're really trying to instill in them is that uh, it's not about right now this being the best film ever made. It's about it getting finished. 
because the when you there's things you'll learn just by hitting the final export and then going to a festival and then hearing feedback about your film. There's things that you'll learn that you would never learn if you just spent your whole life not finishing a film. And so uh, we're, we're really, really want to encourage them to do that. And that's been super fun. They eh, Mike, just seeing mm-hmm. people take those steps in their life and their career. Yeah. I, th- I, I, what to me is really exciting about art of documentary, which wouldn't have been even possible a decade ago is where the technology has come and i'm not someone who usually you know i don't like talking about technology but it's it's gotten to a point where filmmaking is now like what photography is uh in the sense of a photographer you know i was i was with a war photographer yesterday in new york this guy was captured in syria and he's telling me his story and his whole art form his whole his whole craft is done on his own he flies in and and i was just like i was like wow that's incredible and then I was like, that's not so far different from what we do actually now. Like with the te- like, you know, last couple of my films have been alone. And it's and I think that to me is what's really exciting with AOD is we're able to not just teach this this kind of theory and, and the technical, but the technology is so good now that this amazing cinematic craft can be done by one person, more or less. Like you can go out and monitor audio with an amazing camera. The focus is phenomenal now. Like it's easy to do, you know, it's, it, it's, it used to just be complicated, cumbersome, you know, even in the nineties, like you'd have four person crews and it still didn't look that great. Like, you know, big film, big films now are adapting this kind of minimal touch process. And I think that to me is what's really exciting with our students. As Mark was saying is like, they're, they're actually able to make stuff that looks good and feels, feels really good. And it's, it's an exciting time. It's, it's competitive landscape, but uh, yeah, it's exciting for students to at least be able to have a vision. You know, they see someone on the streets or they hear this story, they have this vision on how their voice would be a unique voice to tell it. And they can almost use their phone at this point to go capture it and, and get it out there and use these platforms, whatever YouTube or whatever else to, to get it seen. And it's amazing. It's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing time. Love it. It is amazing. Um, this is a bit of a tangent, but you mentioned technology and and I'm just curious, like obviously, Mark, you've got a great community on YouTube, which is kind of like an emerging technology, not really emerging these days, but there's other video formats like TikTok and short form video that are getting a lot of attention, a lot of speed, a lot of uses. Do you think that technology and social media maybe has influenced your like the documentary scene in any way or do you think it's been a positive influence a negative influence like I know that Instagram greatly influenced photography as a craft because mm-hmm. every it made it accessible for everyone everyone could be a photographer and everyone thought they were a photographer and that can be you know empowering to see so many people adopt that and also maybe a bit frustrating for people who are really good at it but I'm curious from your perspective like both of you are such established filmmakers do you feel that things like TikTok and short form video has had a positive or negative impact on your industry? Uh, me and Mike talk about this. I think the I, I used to get more upset about this, but I would say the thing that has been the worst influence on filmmaking, or we will see this, is the two times speed button on Netflix. Oh. And I'm not even being facetious. It's like the fact that uh, you take an art form like filmmaking that's perseverated and worked on in an edit suite, pacing and timing, 
and then it can be treated like like an audiobook that you just want to blast through and watch and, and even the fact that it changes the way that you perceive the frame rate it looks like a totally different frame rate it's like it's just really strange it, it, it's like listening to music on fast forward. why would you ever listen to music on fast forward and the fact that we have that so maybe that's a holdover or not a holdover or just like a, a spillover in terms of influence from this TikTok, uh you know vine culture where it's like very short form but i've learned though that uh just because something isn't popular doesn't mean it's not of value. And so some of my films I've made, I think of Battleground. Yeah, I did well, you know, got Vimeo staff picks and all that, but it wasn't a YouTube video that's getting hundreds of millions of views. But, you know, you're still getting emails from people saying this impacted me. And I've realized like, and that's where me and Mike have really tried. We're using Art of Documentary and this whole ecosystem we've built to just pursue the films we're passionate about and not necessarily care how much of a commercial success they are. Because if they're aligning with our passions, then we're feeling fulfilled. And that's something that, uh, you know, you could get a vi video of 10 million views and you may not feel fulfilled as an artist. So I'm more so these days, and, and I'll let Mike speak to this himself, but I'm more so pursuing uh, the idea of having my passions align with my schedule, like building my fulfillment as an artist that way. So. Uh, yeah, I used to I used to be on YouTube and I used to be really upset by seeing people calling themselves filmmakers. I'm like, that guy's not a filmmaker, but I don't care now. It's like they're 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 working, they're 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 doing their thing, and so I kind of worry just about what's happening on my edit timeline and other others. Hmm. Yeah, I I lot lot to lot to say on so you know I I think Netflix obviously has done a lot of you know. It's given a lot of filmmakers opportunities. I've had several films on Netflix, so I'm, you know, thankful for that. And, but I, I think at the same time, it's become a, it's a new content creator. When Mark talks about watching, it's you know the the art form, you know, has become diminished. And there's a reason teenagers don't watch TV shows anymore. You know, they watch TikTok. Like it, it, it you try to get a teenager to sit down and watch six hours of a, a drama. Like, good luck. Like, it'd be very hard, right? Like, it's in that way, it's it's sad for me personally, um, growing up with just a huge love for film. I don't know if it'll last. You know, I think an art, you know, art, art is art. If art is art, you know, it, it should it should stand the test of time. And something great should be great forever. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think from my personal, from my personal, you know, Kind of what mark was talking about there kind of you have to kind of come to terms with who you are and what you're making there, there's but there's still a ton of filmmakers out there that and the festivals that are really trying to they, they honor you know real high caliber art form and so TikTok's here now and and something else will come and uh you know i think they're i like i mean there, there is something fun about there's something it's like mcdonald like there is something enjoyable about it in in some way you know it's just Again, you can't confuse the two. Yeah, you know, for sure. don't don't. And for me, for me, it really comes to the process. How did the con? How did? How does a filmmaker make a film? You know, take a Chloe Zhao, Zhao, you know, who makes Nomadland or something versus a TikToker. You know, look at the process by which those two products came into existence. That's how I kind of try to look at things. I, I the process means the process matters. And I think we try to make the process as systematic, as automated as possible. And what we teach our students is, you know, that pro that to take the long road, 
Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, it's very gratifying. Speaking of process, Mike, you had mentioned a few minutes ago that you can create a whole cinematic film as one person by yourself. On that note, I'm curious why you and Mark work together. Why do you, why do you, you know, I, I, when I say one per, you, you know, three people, let's say very small, <laughs> right. very small crews. Yeah. I mean, I think someone, but like, some days, some days you go out on clear sky, you know, some days by on, yourself. And, and Ray, I did on, on his name is Ray. Like I shot 95% of that on my own. 98% of that really the point, the point being it you can have very small teams and, and Mark, I'm sure will echo this. It's, it's, it's a really hard business lugging around tripods and heavy bags and, you know, waiting for sun and, and, you know, the shot just doesn't look like you, Matt, like it's not glamorous. Like making films is the act, like the, the final product's amazing. The dreaming process at the start's amazing, but production is, is, is not, it's tough. It's, it's really hard. So I think one of the reasons Mark and I work together and do so well together is we like each other. And I think there's a lot, there's a lot to that. Like you should work with it, it, when things are this hard, you should work with people you like because, you know, similar, similar values, similar sense of humor. It just, they're long days, you know, shit happens and you're like, you, we're not getting anything today, but you, you can both kind of, you're both there and feel the same way. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I, we, we tell our students all the time, like, try, you know, tr don't, don't always, it's not always about the best you being around the best person, but it's who, who be around someone who makes you better, you know, who's the best team, like, and that's not having the most elite person. It's, it's somehow the average of not the best makes the best, hmm. you know what I mean? And, um, I think Mark and I have, have found that we, we, we've, we, we were careful with who we let into our circle of um collaborators and and for that reason because it it can become toxic too you know like the creative yeah. process it's yeah. it's a lot of egos you know it's you feel like god for a second when you've come up with an idea like you know you think you've come up with something out of thin air like a magician or something and so you got you got to be careful i think i think that's probably why mark and i get along is our egos we aren't 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 big. And if they get too big, we keep each other in check, you know, and it's just enjoy it. Us too. Yeah. So Mark, did you yeah, bring, yeah. did you decide to work with Mike be, so that he could carry your tripods around or because you actually like them? <laughs> oh, there's a funny photo. <laughs> oh yeah. That one from Africa. Yeah. Um, you keep yeah. talking, Mark. Uh, no, I, I think, uh, I think one of the, the, um, really helpful things for Mike and I that's worked so well. And, and I've realized kind of reflecting on this because some people in my, in my world are always like you and Mike just seem to really, you know, collaborate well and like, doesn't seem like, like there's much tension. And I've realized that both Mike and I, uh, like he said, our philosophy and, and, and in some ways, even maybe not necessarily all th of our theology, but even our, our spiritual perspectives, uh, some way orbit each other, but also, I would say really on a, just a practical level when working in business with someone is we both have the same philosophy on how we view what money is. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so for Mike and I, uh, you know, money is, is a tool. It's something to be used. It's not, it's something to be also saved, but like, but it needs to be used. And so, and then also to, at the end of the day, it's like, what, what we're more excited about, you can see Mike's film posters behind me. Like that, that's, that's the reward is creating those projects and having our families. And so what's really great is 
where you see a lot of business relationships or creative relationships fall apart when it comes down to the money is, is me and Mike, I would say uh, like both have the same philosophy around that. So there's not that tension in terms of working that way. And we've also, you know, to be clear, me and Mike both also do a lot of projects not with each other. We both have separate businesses. Oh, there it is. <laughs> that's up. That's in Kenya. This is 2014 Kenya. on yeah. the Rift Valley. February 2014. Uh, Mike's yeah, carrying Mark, the tripod. Mark's it. got the camera, I'm sure. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Yeah, lights there. Oh, the photo yeah. evidence. Nice. Yeah. yeah, photo evidence. But yeah, so it, it's, uh, I find that when I'm interviewing people to work with them or, or bringing people in the project is I, I want to know one thing is so much of filmmaking is, is, is kind of philosophizing like, like you're, you're con constantly pontificating and talking about these ideas. And it's like, I want to have someone I can enjoy to have a conversation with yeah. because so many of our ideas come out of conversation and like some of the best moments for art of documentary or for our films have come in the car rides Mike and I have from Toronto to Bowmanville on, on Mike's latest film that, that I'm helping with uh, clear sky. It's like, it's that conversation that it comes about. And to me, I, I you know, it's why I love podcasts and, and, and talking to people like yourselves, like conversation is, is one of the most beautiful, it's like a meal that you get to have in life with others. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I really cherish that. And so, yeah, I want to surround people with, with who, who, uh, are interesting, you Absolutely. know, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like maybe I'm getting a little philosophical here, but I think in addition to what you're saying, I find that having someone that you like, that you have similar views with, that you can do the work with is also beneficial because I feel like creativity is like a responsibility, you know, like it's a bit of a burden, especially when you're telling a story that really matters or like might make a difference. Do you guys find that there's a benefit for the two of you there as well, where you're kind of like sharing this creative responsibility or burden of the project or story that you're working on? Yeah, I, I would say, Mike, like he, we, we both have different skill sets. Like I come from a commercial background, and so I'm often wanting to bring more gear on set. But Mike comes from the independent filmmaker who is running around a, like an Olympic track trying to film people. And, not, and so it's like, Mike's like, let's use less gear. And it's great because we challenge each other with, there's even different perspectives that, that Mike is much better at audio than I am, as you guys could probably tell before this podcast. And so <laughs> it's like, there's areas that we, we really complement each. And so I think one thing to say is you don't want to just find carbon copies of each other. I would yeah. say. And so I, I find that I, I do like, I like knowing that when I'm with Mike on set, he's going to have a different perspective than me. And so we get to challenge each other on them and then figure out what, what works best. Yeah, I, I'd add with the creative idea, like, you know, for me, you know, I, I, I've used this with our students, but, you know, it's, it's important to remember that creativity, I mean, this is what I believe, create, like creativity can't be forced. It's a lot about your environment. It's a lot about your routine. Like it, it, it has to be as natural as a masonry doing the bricks on a house has to be like that, that has to be. And so for me, I, I've never, I think one, one reason I, I do well in a setting when I'm with people like Mark or, or other colleagues who I've been with for my whole career, it's, it's just the water I swim in. It's not trying to have to find a creative idea. I think that's when the worst ideas come because it's, it's too forced. It's not truthful. It's trying, it's trying to be original. And usually when you try to be original, you end up, if it doesn't feel natural. Whereas if you just tell the truth, you're usually original. And, and so I, I, I feel like 
that's probably a big advantage of just being in an environment where people, people you're comfortable is because you're, it's, it's, you know, it's just like, it feels like you're home, you know, you're able, mm-hmm. you're able to do your best work. You're more frequently and you're, you're not afraid to fall down. You're not afraid to make mistakes. You're not afraid to say stupid things. And I think by doing like, if you're in a too, you know, sometimes too competitive of a creative environment type of thing, like agencies or things like this, it's, you know, you can, you can tell when something's, I don't know, Mark, what the word is, but you're, you have more experience in kind of the high, cre- like always looking for high level creative concepts, you know, that that's hard. Like that's, that's hard for that stuff to be natural. Like it's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so I, I, I think we've done well just being comfortable. What, what attracts me and Mike both to documentary is uh, we love discovering a world that we've never been in and then immersing ourselves in that where, where other filmmakers may want to create a world, you know, mm. you, Denis wow. Villeneuve wants to go create Dune, you know, like this, this, but I find me and Mike, when we go, you know, we see our film killer be killed this past summer, we both arrived at Joel's house. We're on his front yard and there's like, you know, boxing equipment, a big truck and like, you know, just all this, it was this world, this jungle of, of uh, bravado and MMA. And we're just like, this is, fascinating someone lives this Perfect. way yeah, we don't, yeah, we, don't like, need to, we don't need to touch anything yeah exactly mike, mike looked at mike and we would joke we're like this this would uh you know I, I looked at mike and said you know on the commercial sets i work on we would have paid a team yeah three days fifty thousand dollars to build this set but to, get ha- is, to get to get half the way there yeah i'm but i'm like but this is the way this guy lives so yeah. i don't know that, that's kind of once you i'm really realizing these days if i can separate my ego away from my art then i can just embrace the process and and so for me and mike it's like we want to create big films, but we want to have all the gear in one bag. And and it's not that that's the whole thing. But what I mean by that is we just want to walk into a world and find the perspective. And that that's super fun to me. That's what we did with Riscate. It's it, when when Mike, you know, gets the chance to release his name is Ray. You'll see it from that. It's it's uh, I love love Mike's film. His name is Ray because you know we often pass these uh, these people who are panhandling on the city streets who live a a, a a houseless life, you know, living full time on the streets. And you're always like, wonder what that's like. But it's like Mike spent a year in that world with his camera and captured that that perspective. So uh, yeah, I find I find it uh, a, a um, what am I trying to say? A privilege to be a documentary filmmaker because we're allowed into these environments that normally you may not be allowed into but because we're we're storytellers we we get this weird permission to do it and it's 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 super fun that's so interesting on on that note of like immersing yourself into a world rather than creating it like do you find my guess is you do but i want to know like do you find that you're going in blind sometimes when you're shooting and not really knowing what's going to happen and then having to absolutely create, create the narrative afterwards or like reverse engineer it well, I think you should never go into a project without understanding. Like you, you have full permission. We tell this to our, our, our AOD student filmmakers. Like we, we, you have full permission to go into a project not knowing the tension, as we call, like what's driving the character in the film, to to explore that. But you should never venture and say, "I'm going to make this film about this person," and have no idea what the magnet is that's that's pulling the mm. plot of the film. Like we always. We try to take complex things and simplify them, but then still acknowledge that they're very complex. Like, what is a good plot in a film? Well, I mean, you could go on for days about this, but simply we just say, like, your character has to have a desire. They have to want something. And we have to, and if they don't want something, then we're not going to care about them. We need to know that they 
journeying to accomplish something that can be altruistic. It can be physical, like, like in the case of, uh, trans transcend Wesley wanted to win an election, but then, you know, what's fun is then you get to go all the layers underneath that. Why does he want to win an election? Why does this matter? You know? And then, then that's when you build like a real timeless film. So, but if you look at any, any film, any Hollywood film, the characters want something. So that's, that's just what we distilled down. But to answer your question, Mike, you can kind of know that general idea, but then, yeah, absolutely. We, we, we will go into days where we're like, let's just kind of, let's see what happens. But we generally have an idea of, of what we would hope to happen or mm-hmm. hope to unfold on camera. When do you know that you found the story that you just have to tell? Like, I know you said that you just kind of go into people's worlds and I'm sure you figure out like, what does the character want? But like, how do you know that like, this is the story that I'm going to just dive into for two years and immerse myself? Like mm-hmm. what, what are the factors that play into deciding that that's the story? I'll let Mike answer that. I'll be honest, it, it and I've I've thought a lot about this because I know story story is king or story is queen or you know story trumps all. But like as I as I start you know looking back on how I've made some choices on what projects to do, it the story's been important. But I've never really even talked about this. But it for me it does go back to those days of philosophy, my all my university studies where I had to find an idea. And it had to be a good idea. If you're going to write 60 pages or 100 pages, it better be a really good idea that can support you know, 90 minutes of viewing time. And so it's it's not you're, – you're, you're, for me, the gamble, I often take the gamble of the idea over the story. Meaning if, if, I, if I feel there's a really interesting idea here, I will gamble and say, I, I hope I am going to take the chance that the story will follow suit and that the story will unfold because, and I, it's, 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 the story is so difficult if you're trying to create a really authentic documentary, because just so much can happen. So much can change in, in one year or two years, but the idea doesn't change. You know, so to answer your question, it's like if I have a strong, you know, let's use Transformer, the the the, the documentary about uh, it's the world's strongest man becoming a woman. Mike corrected and, this, but yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry, because you had the poster behind you. Um, but so the idea, the idea in that film that was so intriguing to me was that the strongest man in the world who had spent his whole life building this these slabs of armor, 250 pounds of muscle, 5% body fat, integers dominated his life. I can bench what, you know, 700 pounds and all of this was going to lose those integers to become a woman. The, that idea was so compelling for me because I knew there's no way he's going to be able to do that. Like you can't give up those. That's like someone on wall street working their whole life to become a billionaire and then walk away doesn't happen because that's your identity. And so that idea, what was the story going to be? I didn't know. I didn't know that the ex-wife wasn't going to want to be on camera. I didn't know that the brothers weren't going to want to be on camera. You know, had I known all that stuff and that made, if if I let that make my decision, I may have not even pursued it because there were a lot of things we weren't able to get from a story perspective. 
but the idea was really freaking compelling and you know it en- it ended up working i don't know if that always happens but that's just been my experience so far looking back same with transcend it was the idea that all long distance runners have faith in something some higher power and that idea ended up trans you know it 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 developed this incredible story and 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 so clear sky where there's similar i don't know so i'm not giving you a a clear answer that it's more just a thought that i've been i've been having lately Mm -hmm. about like kind of what is more important the story or the idea that the soil that the story is going to be built upon because again we just don't have any control yeah Mm -hmm. um I, I would say to try to distill it down, you know, Mike, because my, me and Mike have taught this in AOD. We, we talk about the the passion gauntlet, like this idea that uh, you have to ask yourself, like, does your character have passion? Uh, is are are you pa- uh, like, would an audience be passionate? Like, do, or do people have interest in the story? And then the most important thing, and I think this is what really take away those other two things. This is the deciding factor and what. You know, I've been in moments with Mike where we looked, you know, when we looked at Clear Sky, me and Mike were like, yeah, let's do this. Like it instantaneously is, are you passionate about it? So it's, I've been approached about really cool docu, like YouTube is providing me this incredible platform now where people are constantly pitching me documentaries. And some of them are just incredible stories, people driving around the world on a unicycle or whatever it is. But it's like, I'm not passionate about that. And so I refuse to take on that project because if if, if it doesn't get me excited in that moment, it's not going to get me excited when I'm three years into an edit. You yeah. know? And so I think ultimately, like, um, what, like, like Mike was talking about when you're just like, wow, this is so compelling is like, does this... And I don't know how to describe it. It's like it's like an artist saying like, oh, that's a good song, you know, like when when there's people making music. But for us, there's this moment and I and I couldn't express it until you feel it yourself where you're like, oh, that's I this. I need to do this idea. Like the idea has got to grip you like whatever's happening in that moment in that character's life needs to keep me up at night to be like, I got to see where this is going to go. If the moment that you catch your character is 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 that powerful and it's and it's the right moment and you're there and you catch lightning in the bottle when that character is saying something that's real and truthful like it's it, i don't care what's going to happen because the the audience is going to experience that in the opening few minutes of the film and they just want to know and 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 yeah that that's that's been my experience so far with it it's it. uh that's compelling yeah i want i want more of that type of story or like creativity or even feeling in marketing. I feel like I don't get that as mm. much as I'd like. So Mitzi, that's, that's our, because, because it's, you know, and I know, you know, I, we, we, we have to mark and I have to market, you know, we, we, we have a course and I do marketing for lots of company and it's because it's a different, it's a different goal. Mm-hmm. Like the goal in marketing is to sell almost always. I mean, there has to be an ROI. Mm-hmm. If you're paying videographers and editors, you, you, you know, there's a cost associated with that. And to recoup that cost and to turn a profit, you know, you have to, and, and with what I've found so empowering doing art of documentary, it's provided, you know, a financial component where I don't need to care anymore if Ray, his name is Ray or clear sky make any money. And so it's in that way, I think you can take that risk and, and where you, it's really hard to do that in a marketing context, but you know, maybe some of the big commercials you think back on like the, for the Macintosh, you know, that famous Macintosh commercial, right. Where like the brave new world scene. I don't know if you yeah, remember where he's like, throws a sledgehammer. 
yeah, like they're there. That's bravery, you know, yeah. and, and you know, got companies like Nike and, and why, like some of the big agencies do try to do that obviously, but from, yeah, you, you're right though, Mike. Like I, I, I do wish, I, I do wish that entrepreneurs, small businesses would take those chances and blue star did. (laughs) Yeah. Greg did like in the very, some of my companies that I've worked with have taken that. And I think it, it, the the problem is I, I feel is like it's, it's not formulaic. Like you can't do it every time. No. Like, you know, it's like trying to catch lightning, trying to get, and that's why I, I, that's why you take a year off of doing a doc because you don't, that idea doesn't just come. And I think in a marketing business world, it's like, you need content tomorrow. You got your content calendar. Yeah. It's like, I, I got it, you know, and so you're finding the best, the best system that you can get, you know, close to that. But yeah, it's different. Yeah. <laughs> they're just, they're, they're just different. so maybe, but I mean, maybe you're right though. Maybe like you could do one a year or something. Maybe the goal is to do one, a couple a year that have that magic and you really, you know, let go of all your, all your metrics and all your algorithms and just do what you really feel you've got to do for your company or your, your, you know, your mm-hmm. product. Yeah, for sure. I think it takes some level of bravery for a brand as well, you know, like to suddenly for a moment, not be trying to sell something, but more like focus on a person or a community or mm-hmm. like tell some kind of story that doesn't have that hard CTA at the end, but yes. still, it still connects yeah. to the audience you're trying to connect with, but totally that stuff is, gets me excited. So we'll figure I, out a way. To I, do it. I, I think you need to, I think we don't realize that our brands are made up of people. So in turn, they are a living organism. And I think the same way that you need to take time to go do something you enjoy as a human, you need to read that book, you need to go hang out with the family, play football, whatever it is, your brand needs to do that. So for me, sometimes with my YouTube, even I don't care sometimes if certain videos don't do well, it's like, I love that video. So it's like, I'm going to do it. Because for the the health of my brand, it needs time to enjoy what it likes, you know. Mm-hmm. And if it's always about what the audience likes, then you're you're living for someone else, and then yeah. your your happiness is attached. You're just pandering. To yeah. Oh, and that's that's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And I was gonna to return way back to what Mitzi asked about TikTok and all that. I do think, unfortunately, the two things that these types of platforms do is one is is they take young artists who might have had a different path in another era uh, i mean one thing it does it gives them opportunity to create i don't want to disparage that but what it really does do is it tells them that they have to go down this one path to be successful it defines success as like getting a million views in an hour or whatever but then also yeah. what i find the most underwhelming thing and i'm like why it so repulses me as a platform is there's like six songs that you use and you have to do this. You have to throw your shirt on the ground and then appear in a new, like everyone does. And maybe that's fun. You're like, Hey, we all know the same. I I just don't know as a creative. I'm like, why would I want to go make the exact same film that Mike has made? Mm -hmm. And then like, like I am okay with being like, I'll make a film where I'm like, we're doing everything center frame. We're inspired by Wes Anderson, but then to do just to go do moonrise kingdom it's like i just don't it to me it's a really confusing platform that way where i just i'm like i don't i can't believe there's this many content creators wanting to replicate exactly what someone else did right and that's Hmm. that's scary to me if that's what we're saying success is that's Mm -hmm. that's strange but i guess we all try to right now i was reading an article all the algorithm we're all decorating our homes the exact same way we're putting i have I a know. money tree too mike it's we like, talked about that we, we've talked about that before and it's like we're yeah. all kind of like our tastes and our creativity and what we want to put out in the world with the con even the kind of content we all desire to make is influenced by these algorithms that are telling us what's cool wow. one thing that i do think 
what you were saying about like people replicating the same kind of video over and over again. One thing I do appreciate about TikTok is that it even if you're jumping on a trend, you have to like kind of stop and think like, what's my unique take on this? Or what's my unique POV on this certain song mm. or whatever, or like this trend. And I do appreciate that side of it because I have seen like the trends do get like kind of repetitive and old, but then someone does it in a way that makes you laugh. And it's like, oh, I would have never thought of doing it that way. Or like, that's funny that they pulled that kind of component of their life yeah. into this trend so it definitely yeah. is iteration over originality though totally like, yeah we only have a couple minutes left and i selfishly want to talk about youtube because like i said i'm a marketer but i just want to know a little bit about time and effort like how how long does it really take to build that solid subscriber base mark i know you've been doing it for a couple of years now um and was there any single video or strategy that helped you guys grow the most in that platform yeah, so there's what, what's fascinating is uh, the the chunk of time my channel did its worst in terms of overall volume and metrics. If you were to just go by the YouTube stats uh, button, uh, that time in a way it made me and Mike our biggest profit with Art of Documentary. And so what I don't, I guess we're in this world until it, our AOD dies you know, like, God, God forbid, we want to create it into more than just a course, we want to create a community and make it a production company and all sorts of things. And we have a really cool summit coming up with some of Hollywood's bests, which we'll, we'll be talking about on December fourth. But, okay. um, um, but where I would say just to say that, I've really hit the documentary niche hard. And so in turn, it's like, I look at it, like, if I make a video, and it gets 20,000 views, and it's about, but I also every once in a while I do a video about frame rates just for fun because that gets me like a million views well not really like like 500,000 views and gets me like 10,000 new subscribers if, if I talk about frame rates for some reason the algorithm likes when Mark Bone talks about frame rates and you just stumble into these things mm -hmm. but I'm more passionate of talking about documentary but what I'm saying is that video with 200,000 view subscriber or views about frame rates. I don't know how much that actually helps my business. It helps it when a brand comes and says, oh, you get that many views, we'll pay you more money to advertise for us. But what I would rather, what I'm more excited about is when I get like 2000 likes on a 20,000 uh, view video about documentary, because I know there's 2000 people there that are probably going to want to join our art of documentary mm. or are passionate about really specific, obscure documentary lessons, which so, uh, I worry about my, my niche, uh, you know, it's good to grow an audience cause there's a practicality. You can get paid 10 grand instead of three grand to mention story blocks or whatever. If you're, you know, if you hit certain metrics, but yeah, YouTube takes time. There's no such thing as passive income. Like people see this, these big, like you have to put time into it and that's uh, time. Uh, and again, you, you either have to be entertaining or educational on YouTube. But when you can do the two things at the same time, then 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 that's that can really help grow a a, a brand. Uh, and you it, YouTube is this incredible platform where if you don't believe and care about what you're saying, I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, it, people can tell, mm -hmm. and you won't grow. There's some weird. Uh, equation in the algorithm that just weeds out <laughs> the the people who don't actually care about what they're talking about. And so, uh, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's not to say it doesn't weed out the BS, because there's a lot of people who care about what they're talking about that are saying 
dumb things. But uh, um, but yeah, I don't know if that really, I don't think that really answers your question, but I, I guess I used to get really concerned when my videos wouldn't do well, but I'm more concerned about if the content is quality because we, we find that real ROI is when people are like, holy crap, is this what this guy is talking about for free on YouTube? What's what's beyond this paywall yeah. with this art of documentary community? And then in turn, we have a hundred videos dozens and dozens of hours of long form deep conversation opening up our edit timelines me and mike discussing showing emails to our like we really want someone to come out of our documentary and feel equipped and we should be selling the course for five thousand dollars but we want more people to be making better films we believe it's going to be a better thing for life and also too it's we don't want that the the actual purchase price to be uh um, to stop people from taking that next step in their career love it um, we're nearing the end of our interview here, and we'd like to ask our guests if there's one piece of advice that someone has given to you that has stuck and maybe shaped your way of thinking or shaped the way how you approach your career or your art or your work, um, if you could share that, each of you. <laughs> Mark first. Oh, dang. I need time. <laughs> I know. I need I need time. Um, I'll, okay, I, I'll say this. I, Mike's going to say something really artistic and ph- philosophical. So <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, I'll do nuts and bolts practical. All right. And I'll just say my, uh, um, my, my dad once said this to me about money and he said, money is a tool. And I know that's just seems so innocuous, like, of course, but when I, when the idea that it was this piece of material that, that could work for me. It, it made me, it was like, I remember because I, he brought it up when I was actually going to buy my Canon 5D Mark III. And I, I, I just came out of film school. I've been out of film school for two years. I was doing terrible in the film industry. And then I got this job to go shoot a documentary in Haiti. And I was called my dad up and I was like, should I buy this camera? It's pretty much all I have, my money. And my dad's just like, was like, well, money is a tool. Like, and you can use it as a tool to then buy the tool, the camera that you need to tell the story. And it was this moment mm-hmm. I was like, I was so concerned. I was like, I need to save this money, dad. I'm a poor filmmaker. And he was like, well, no, like use your money. Like it, it's part of, it's one, it's like you have your camera, you have your lens, you have your money, you have your music. Like, it's like, it's not just this thing that I need to treat like this bar of gold that I can't touch. And it was when I did, I bought that camera and then I made that film. And then that film, like I, I can trace all my success back to making that one little documentary down in Haiti. And so I would say for artists, it's like, look at it that way, maybe perhaps, you know, like, that's why I say I love working with Mike, because we have the same philosophy around money, because it's like, yeah, we'll buy the cameras, we'll use the gear, and the gear's not good anymore, we'll sell it, but then we'll use that money to buy the next piece of gear. And it's not that we're being frivolous. It's not that we're just throwing money around. We're both uh, pragmatic with the way we use it. But when you look at it as one part of your arsenal, to me, it's taken the pressure off as uh, in this I don't have to worry about being a starving artist. I it just, it's one, it's one feature in my office is the money we have. It doesn't become the thing we're making these films for right. money. It's like, it's like a, another commodity in Settlers of Catan. You know, it's not the, it's not the thing. It's like Monopoly, you play for money, but I love Settlers of Catan. Cause it's like, it's every, you have wheat, you have ore. It's like kind of like that as a filmmaker. It's like, you have your awards, you have your films, you have some money, you have your family. It's like, it's all one of the aspects. So I would say, yeah. That, that was actually a really freeing thing because I think a lot of why I think that actually matters for artists is so many people make decisions in their career and what art they're creating based on money. But if you can look at it as something that's going to come into your hand and leave your hand that that might break, that might not work, that you might need to go get more of or less of, it's like 
th then you're kind of free to focus on yeah. uh, other aspects that can benefit your career. I love that, but you lost me at Settlers of Catan. <laughs> uh, I'm actually I'm 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 much more a Carcassonne person. I do hate Settlers to be honest. You're getting I like I like that down the rabbit trail. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm a big 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 Carcassonne player, but yeah, Settlers of Catan people. I, I'm I'm too much. Uh, I I I converse and I make absurd trades. I'll trade like eight ore for one week. I could see I want it. the game over. I could see it. Mike, <laughs> Mike, give us something artistic and philosophical. I have no idea what game you guys are talking about. <laughs> um, I. I'll, I think mine was probably from my dad as well. Ironically, I was young and he was just telling me what is all every successful person have. And, uh, you know, he, he gave some bad, bad humans in history and some good humans in history. And, and, you know, the commonality amongst all of them was passion. Um, and, and as a, you know, for a creative, you know, it's something that's said quite a bit. And I, I think, um, it's, it's something for me, you know, what we've talked about, like it's so, so much of this process of, of trying to take an idea in your mind and see that through to the end, you know, in, 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 and create something in you're you just face so many people who don't see it until they finally see it. They don't see it when it's 10% there. They don't see it when it's 90% there. Some people don't see it when it's 100% there. But for me, kind of that that passion I have for telling somebody's story or that idea I've, I've talked about, that feeling I get the first time I talk to a character and that passion I feel, that empathy or that that connectedness with somebody who I generally wouldn't talk to in life, but I do, and and it just creates something. And just following through with that um, because you know in your heart it's a real thing. Like I, I, it's it's something that I think creators, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I would encourage creators to slow down a little bit because passion, passion is a very powerful thing. And when you've got it and, and when you find it for the right thing, I do think it could make your career. And, and, but I think if you, if, if you think you're passionate, but you're kidding yourself, it's like marrying the wrong person or something, you, you know, you, you don't, you can't trick yourself into being passionate about the right idea or the right project or the right idea. Like, listen, if it's not, if it's not a great idea, but it's paying well, then just do it and say, I'm doing this because it pays me a lot of money. And that's why I'm doing it. It's not a great idea. I don't like doing it, <laughs> but as Mark said, it's a tool. I need this money. So you know, for me, for me, that, that, that notion of just kind of, I know it's a big word, but that passion of, of, of what you're trying to do with your career, where you want to go and just trying to be true to that. And, and, you know, um, yeah, I, I no, that's good. Kind of fumbling over there, but I, I think it's, it's just, there, there's something inside each person that I think they know is there. Um, and life can become, there's a lot of voices. It can become complicated and that voice and vision, that thing that, you know, desire you have can just become too cloudy. And I think real great filmmakers have have the ability to stay, keep that innocent passion, that kind of that pure connection with it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that's a very enviable thing when you see somebody late in their career, just still smiling and loving, doing the thing they do, because they've just been true kind of the whole time. And 
yeah, that's, that's, that's my, that's my goal is, you know, don't get overcomplicated. Just keep, follow those projects that I know I really want to do. Come on, man. Love it. One, two punch to finish this off. Uh, first, who is making waves right now and why? And then where can listeners connect with you? I mean, my, my guy, you know, yeah. my, my mentor, yeah. Derek C in France, who I just was working with yesterday, but he's a guy who I've just looked up to my whole life. And he just signed, uh, he just announced last week that he's going to be doing his first studio film. He's been like an indie guy, done an HBO series, but now he's doing a big studio film with Ryan Gosling. You know, it's, but he, he to me is who I want to be in a lot of ways. And it's not, his films are amazing, but you know, I believe in what, He's just, he's just a guy, like I talked about in my last answer there, he hasn't allowed the complications of the Hollywood industry interrupt his most important thing in life, which is being a good husband and father, which have not been easy. But like he, he's, he's just a guy that to me I, I look at as someone who's at the top and hasn't had to give everything up to get there. Cool. Um, and in fact, would give up getting to the top in order to keep those things. So he's, he's a guy that I just always am looking at what he's doing, the interviews he's doing. I just think he's, he's solid in a world of a lot of fluff. He's, he's a solid guy. Mm. Nice, Mark. Uh, I would say, uh, so this maybe seems, uh, uh, not cliche, but the filmmaker choosing the Academy Award winner, but I really am inspired by what, what films Chloe Zhao is putting out right now. Uh, I, I, I think they're, they're, uh, bending or blurring the line between uh documentary and narrative and uh yeah it's something you know these are films that you watch out i'm like this resonates with me this is something i would want to create myself uh so i'm really inspired by how she's able to you know we, we talk about uh like kind of going into a world and showing that and she does that but then does it with uh with a bit of narrative you know with 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 a couple scripted actors and i think that's just such an exciting new frontier for filmmaking uh, and then, uh, well, you can, for, if you really want to connect with me and Mike, you, you can do it once a month at, on the art of documentary.com. We do a <laughs> single zoom call it. Yeah. Do- the doors art, aren't open. The doors aren't open, but you can sign up. We reopen them in March, but <laughs> you can actually, they will be able to interact with us at our summit, uh, on December 4th. We have some really exciting uh, people, part of that people like Sam Davis, who's won an Academy award for a documentary. Uh, we're having a variety of people on our panel that day. It's the AOD summit. Uh, our students get in for free for that, but we're v- making it available for purchase for people on the outside. So you can go find more information for that, uh, on, uh, Instagram, the art of documentary, um, AOD, that's us. And so, yeah, that's one way to connect. Uh, or you can jump on uh, my YouTube channel as well. Just Mark Bone. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Art of documentary is the best. I, yeah. I don't, yeah. If you want. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Art of documentary. Well, yeah, check Mike. It out. And yeah, Mike, well, what's your phone number, Mike? We'll say that <laughs> yeah. podcast right now to you. Yeah. Well, next one. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, guys, yeah, this was super fun. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm. Tons of great information. And honestly, very different than our typical interview. So I think it was cool for us to just get get a deep dive into the artistic side of filmmaking and mm-hmm. telling those meaningful stories and just in general what you guys bring to the world. So thank yeah, you. Such a good conversation. Thanks so much. Amazing. Thank you for having Thanks, us. guys. <laughs> <laughs>